Hello there, and welcome to Gilded in Blood, the horror lit podcast. My name is Kevin. It is actually night. Usually I record these during the day, but I uh, got done with my research and decided, what the hey, tomorrow's Easter. <laughs> I want to focus on the holiday, so we'll go ahead and get this done the previous evening. So it's dark outside. It's the perfect time for another Short Shock episode. This is a very important short story, in my opinion. And I think probably of the opinion of other people who uh, uh, study the horror genre. I would credit this short story as basically beginning an entire genre like a subgenre in the horror genre and that is the human beings as prey as as being hunted because today's short story is Richard Connell's The Most Dangerous Game now this was published back in the 20s i cannot find any example and i may be very wrong about this if i'm wrong about this please leave a comment on the on the episode page on the website Tell me I'm wrong. Please show me other examples uh, that happened before this. I would really, really love to know them. But as far as I could find out, this was the first time that this kind of, as I said, subgenre really got started with the idea of human beings being hunted, literally hunted. And this short story, if it is the first, really kind of grew into so many very, very uh, well-known and well-respected books and movies and ideas. Uh, it's it's a real. It's kind of the seed from which an entire subgenre grew. So I figured it would probably be pretty good if we covered it on the podcast, since it has such far-reaching import and. It's a pretty good short story, too. I suspect that some of you may have actually read it in school. I remember reading it in middle school, which I don't know exactly what that tells you about my middle school, but eh, we'll just move on from that. It is extremely easy to find. You can find this short story anywhere. If you go to Wikipedia and look up The Most Dangerous Game, and you can read about it if you want, but at the bottom on the external links, you can actually, it'll link you to the short story. You can read it right there. So it's very uh, very, very easy to read. If you've never read it before, or if you haven't read it since, say, school, please give it another read or give it a read for the first time. It's a wonderful short story, but we're going to go over it today as our short shock, so let's go ahead and get started. Now, we start at night, which is appropriate because that's when we're recording this, on a yacht uh, going to the Amazon, and the two people talking are Rainsford and Whitney. And they are both big game hunters. They're taking this boat through the Caribbean to do some big game hunting in the Amazon. And they're talking about a nearby island called Ship Trap Island. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that in just a moment. But they, they go off onto this little tangent about big game hunting. And it's interesting to note that Richard Connell himself was a big game hunter. And the short story presents the concept that maybe he had some moral misgivings about the sport that he was so passionate about, because we have this really interesting conversation between Rainsford and Whitney, and Rainsford says it's the best sport in the world, as I would imagine big game hunters probably would feel. There's a lot of excitement. You get to see interesting locales. You get to kill all sorts of wonderful animals. You can tell that I am not a huge fan of hunting in, in general, but Whitney actually interjects and says, well, 
yeah, it's the best sport in the world for the hunter, not ex- not necessarily for the animals. And Rainsford is very quick to come back and say, who cares what the animals think? You know, animals can't reason. They can't think. They can't feel. They're just there to be killed. So the world is made up of two classes, he says, hunters and hunties. And luckily, we are the hunters. So that <laughs> if, if you've ever read short stories, you understand that that uh, is probably something he's going to look back on and regret saying pretty soon. So we go on to talk a little bit about the island. The island has this bad reputation, and it even has this bad aura. Whitney himself, uh, for which Rainford kind of makes fun of him, says, I get kind of this chill because we're by the island. I, I, I'm really looking forward to being past the island. It gives me a, it gives me a bad feeling. And Rainsford gives him a little shit for that. But uh, there's no denying that you know even the hardened sailors on the ship, they do not like this island. Uh, this is a bad place for some reason. So the conversation ends shortly after that. Whitney turns in and Rainsford stays out on the deck and he hears three gunshots coming from off in the direction where the island is supposed to be. It's in the middle of the night in the Caribbean. It's kind of thick, uh, heavy atmosphere. He can't see the island, but from the direction, he hears three gunshots. And as a big game hunter, there is one thing that he's never going to mistake, and that is a gunshot. So he rushes over to the the edge, kind of the rail, uh, to see if he can see something and loses his balance and topples over the rail and falls into the water. Now, right at this moment, we learn something very interesting and something very important about Rainsford. Uh, the story says that he is very good at being cool-headed in tough situations. He thinks to himself instantly after uh, you know, trying to shout and try to alert somebody on the yacht that he has fallen overboard. It's clear that they did not hear him. He swims after it, but of course it's going too fast. And he calms himself down instantly and thinks to himself, I have been in worse situations. I've been in worse scrapes. I can figure this out. And he remembers hearing the gunshots kind of off to his right. So he turns and swims in that direction, knowing that the island is nearby. They didn't sound like very loud gunshots. So if the sound traveled to him, he should be able to make it if he kind of keeps his head. So that is going to be something that's very important about him that uh, in bad situations and adverse situations, he keeps his cool. So probably going to be something he's going to use a little bit later on in the story. Now, as he is swimming towards this island, he hears these awful sounds of something dying. And again, being a big game hunter, he has heard a lot of big animals die and the sounds that they make when they do die. And he cannot ID this animal. He's like, that is a sound I have never heard before. Uh, So that kind of freaks him out a little bit. It it, it worries him, but you know, any port in a storm, (laughs) he has to get to this island. Otherwise he's going to drown and die. So he keeps going towards the island and finally uh, gets to the island, gets up on the beach and decides that he's going to search for somebody uh, who can help him. He heard gunshots. There's obviously somebody on this island, somebody who can help him. So he uh, looks around for a little bit and sees that there are footprints and they are clearly hunting boots and they're leading off in this direction. But before he kind of heads out, he notices that the boots are leading away from the scene of a kill. Uh, 
And that is confusing to him because he finds only one cartridge, and that is from a 22 pistol. So he thinks something that made that sound has to be a fairly large animal, but this is such a small caliber pistol that doesn't seem to track. So there's all these clues that something odd is going on. But again, really, he just needs to find somebody who can help him. So he follows those tracks out and finds this enormous, elaborate mansion in the middle of the jungle. And he gets through the gates, he, he knocks on the door, and the door is answered by this immense man who is instantly pointing a gun at his chest. And he's like, whoa, 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 let's, let's all calm down here. We're all friends. I've fallen off the yacht. I've swam here. I need help. And the giant still kind of is pointing that pistol. But then another man comes up and says, Mr. Rainsford, you are welcome at my house and kind of leads the, the larger gentleman away. So eventually we'll learn that this is uh, the man of the house whose name is General Zaroff. This is his servant, Ivan, and he is deaf and dumb. So he did not know what exactly uh, Rainsford was trying to tell him. And uh, Zaroff welcomes him into his home. And we find out that Zaroff actually knows who Rainsford is and respects him quite a bit because it is revealed here that Rainsford has written a story on hunting snow leopards in Tibet, I think. And uh, Zaroff reveals himself to be somebody who is absolutely passionate about hunting to the point where he has read every book on hunting there is, and just so happens that Rainsford's is one that he highly respects. So there's this instant sort of connection between these two men, even though they've just met. But uh, Zaroff is much more comfortable in this than Rainsford is. Rainsford is thrown a little bit by this whole weird situation. But uh, Zaroff welcomes him in, uh, says, let's go ahead and get you into some decent clothes. I was just about to dine on dinner you can join me. So Rainsford is welcomed into this house and he notices that there's this extreme opulence of the clothing, of food, of, of the surroundings. Everything is the best of the best. Zaroff is clearly accustomed to living the best possible life he can. So as Rainsford is walking to dinner, he sees, of course, heads on the walls of all these animals that uh, Zaroff has hunted. And it's clear that he is an accomplished hunter. This is These specimens are better than Rainsford has ever seen. And Zaroff starts this odd conversation and sort of beats around the bush a little bit before revealing that he has come to this island and built this sanctuary, is what he calls it, to hunt the most dangerous game. Because he says, well, I, I've quickly become bored with fighting animals. You know, animals can't reason. They can't uh, do anything to somebody who is as good a hunter as I am. And he says, that's not bragging. It's just a mathematical fact. I have a gun and they can't reason. Eventually I'm going to come out on top. So since he feels that God made him to hunt, he, this is the thing he is really good at. If hunting no longer provides him any pleasure, then what do you do when your identity is crumbling? This kind of reminded me a little bit of when we were talking about Grindel. And Grindel asked the question, uh, what is the Hrothgar killer once Hrothgar has been killed? Once that thing that you've identified yourself with is gone, 
who are you? So Zaroff decided he is going to hunt something that is much more dangerous than any other animal. He's going to hunt man. <laughs> and he is going to, uh, again, the island is called Ship Trap Island. He has an apparatus that he can engineer a shipwreck and then take the people off of the ship and hold them and then hunt them every night. He does this. And he says something very interesting to Rainsford. He says, instinct is no match for reason. So hunting animals is too easy. It is actually unfair. And that's one of the more interesting aspects of the story that Zaroff feels that he is, he, this is not murder. This is only fairness. <laughs> he is a hunter. He is made to hunt, but to hunt animals wouldn't be fair because they can't really defend themselves. A man would be able to defend himself. So he wants to hunt something that uh, is a little bit further up on the evolutionary ladder. And of course, Rainsford, he's just appalled. He's like, how can you do that? That's murder. And Zaroff kind of mocks him because of this. He, he asks, you know, how anyone who has gone to war, as Rainsford has, can possibly hold human life as having any value. You killed people in the war, so why is that all that different from doing it in this situation? And of course, Rainsford tries to split hairs there, as any decent, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, moral person would, and Zaroff is having none of it. He says, you know, killing a person here or killing a person there are exactly the same thing. Uh, so you can't really get up on your moral high horse about this since you have ended lives as well. And he even says this really chilling line. He says, the weak of the world were put here to give the strong pleasure. And that, of course, leads over to the fact that there is a really heavy tint of racism to Zaroff's talk of prey. He, he hunts the degenerates, you know, the colored people or the sailors or the, the Asians. And it's just, it's really quite disgusting, but he, he feels that he is above them on this moral stature and he sees himself as civilized. He, he says, no matter who my prey is, they get treated wonderfully before they're hunted. I give them the best clothes. I give them the best food. I, I give them the best room in the house before I hunt them. <laughs> so he sees himself as uh, being very kind and being very generous and being very fair about this. And there are rules to this game. It's not just that he's just going to throw them out into the jungle and murder them right away. He says, the prey, these people are given food and a knife. So, I mean, they, they are armed in some way while Zaroff only has, and he makes this point, the smallest caliber pistol. And of course, now we know why there was a 22 cartridge on the beach. He's not using an AK 47. <laughs> he is using the smallest possible pistol. So it evens the score a little bit. I would still think a, a pistol out matches a knife, but we'll move on. And the rule is if the prey can evade Zaroff for three days, they win. And, you know, Rainsford asks the question, well, what happens if they, if they win? And Zaroff kind of gives him the smile. He's like, sir, nobody has ever won. I always win this because I'm an excellent hunter. So this kind of back and forth keeps happening and it becomes clear that Zaroff wants Rainsford to join him the next day in this hunt. 
And Rainsford's like, absolutely not. I'm not going to murder somebody. And, and Zaroff's like, well, we'll just talk about it tomorrow. That's, that's fine. You go ahead and go to bed. I've got hunting to do. <laughs> and he goes out and, and hunts while Rainsford goes and passes out on the bed because he's so tired after his uh, ordeal that evening. Now, the next day, after complaining that his stock was becoming boring, Zaroff decides that he's going to hunt Rainsford. Uh, he says, these, these people who I have taken, they're so stupid, they're such dullards, that they can't really give me any sort of sport. But you, a person who knows hunting inside and out, you're going to be wonderful prey. So he just kind of railroads Rainsford and says, all right, so tonight uh, you're going to get food, you're going to get a knife, and if you survive for three days, you win. I will I will uh, put you on my personal yacht, and I will send you off to wherever you want to go. I am a man of my word. And Rainsford's like, holy shit. <laughs> and at this point, Rainsford is given his food, given his knife, and basically shown the door and said, You've got a couple hours head start. You better get going. And that's where Rainsford starts to use his knowledge of hunting to survive. He uses this to his advantage. But it quickly becomes clear that Zaroff is just as good, maybe even better, because this is his passion. And I like that aspect, that 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 point of using the word passion. Uh, somebody's passion will override their sense of propriety sometimes. It will override their sense of morality. Their passion is what drives them. So Zaroff has clearly gone a little bit off the deep end, but not to Zaroff's point of view. Zaroff simply thinks, this is what I made for, this is what I need to do. And Rainsford just has to survive as best he can. Now, over the course of these next few days, and it goes through them fairly quickly, Rainsford tries everything he knows of hunting big game to try to uh, basically destroy Zaroff. He make, first makes this trap that is, I think it's called a Malayan man catcher. It's very similar to, uh, I kept thinking of the movie Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. A lot of these traps that uh, Rainsford tries to set up to, to get Zaroff are in that movie. It's very, it's quite funny. So after you read this short story, go watch the movie. And you're like, oh, a Malayan man catcher. That's what I know. <laughs> or, or a Burmese tiger pit, uh, which is, is something else that he uses. So he manages to wound Zaroff at one point, And then he manages to kill one of Zaroff's dogs, who Zaroff is now using a pack of dogs to try to hunt Rainsford. And the last trap is kind of the spring tree trap that he kind of affixes his knife to. And it actually ends up killing Ivan. But Zaroff is still alive. He still has his pack of dogs and he chases Rainsford to the edge of this cliff uh, overlooking the sea. And rather than being shot, of course, Rainsford jumps off a cliff and into the ocean. And at this point, you know, the story has been following Rainsford's point of view pretty much from the beginning. And at this point, the point of view shifts to Zaroff. And we don't have Rainsford point of view anymore. And that's really interesting. And it plays a little bit with the uh, expectations of the reader. If the point of view has shifted, is Rainsford dead? And of course, Zaroff has the same conundrum. He says, well, I didn't really bag my prey, but he might still be alive. But 
the most important thing is the time limit is coming up midnight of that night. If he hasn't basically gotten uh, Rainsford's body, he loses. So Zaroff heads back to his house. He, he has dinner and he kind of waits and he's, uh, there's really nothing more he can do. And of course the clock strikes 12 and he's lost and he's like, well, damn it. I really, really wanted to win that one. Uh, but I lost. And then all of a sudden he goes to bed and there's Rainsford standing in his bedroom. Seems that he has survived his jump into the ocean, swam back and has infiltrated the house. And Zaroff says, well, you, you've won. It's, it's midnight. I'll take you wherever you go. And this very intense scene where Rainsford looks at him, doesn't smile and says, I am still a beast at bay. Get ready. And Zaroff is instantly in. He's like, oh yeah, let's do this. Whoever loses is going to be dinner for the dogs and whoever wins is going to have a really good night's sleep. Let's go. And then there's a small break in the story and there's only one line after it. It's a beautiful, wonderful, abrupt, but really effective ending. And it says Rainsford decided that he had never slept in a better bed. So that tells us the outcome of the battle. It's a really wonderful uh, short story. But before you go off thinking that that is a happy ending, <laughs> I would propose that it is not. I would propose that Rainsford became the very thing he abhorred. He he really looked down on Zaroff for, you know, uh, killing somebody. And this is what he does in the end. He doesn't have to kill Zaroff. He can get on that yacht and head out. But he chooses to stay and murder Zaroff. Yes, <laughs> Zaroff hunted him, but he didn't have to stay. This was no longer a self-defense situation. This was literally murder. So in a way, you could always think Zaroff actually won in the end because he succeeded in turning Rainsford into an animal. You know, some people may agree with that. Some people may disagree, but I love that the story kind of leaves that up to the decision of the reader. It's a wonderful little short story. It's not very long. Again, I urge you go check it out. It's a wonderful short story. It's available to everybody. Go read it, especially if you haven't read it before, or if you haven't read in a while, go check it out again. All right, so that is this week's Short Shock. Now, before we get to uh, what's coming up next week, a really wonderful book, I'm looking forward to talking about this book, I want to uh, turn your attention to something on the website, uh, gildedandblood.com, that I think might be a lot of fun. In the article section, I wrote an article called Book Recommendations or how I Stole a Post Idea from Jack Edwards. Go ahead and read it. It'll explain what that all means. But the gist of it is I am inviting everybody who listens to go to that post, again, the article section of gildedandblood.com, and give me parameters for a book recommendation. So say somebody will say, I want a book that deals with vampires, but I don't want them to be sexy. I want them to be grotesque and, and animalistic. And then I can say something like, oh, you should probably read Brian Lumley's Necroscope, which is one of the best vampire novels of all time because they're not sexy vampires. I hate sexy vampires. So the more outlandish and the more specific your book recommendations can be, it's more of a challenge for me to try to fit a book 
that meet that ticks all of those boxes. I think this could be a lot of fun. And honestly, if you're looking for a horror book to read, uh, go ahead and ask me. I think I can probably come up with something. And honestly, even if you're not in the mood for a horror book, give me some parameters, give me, ask for a recommendation. And I think I can go ahead and come up with something that might fit the bill. I think this would be a lot of fun. Instead of answering on the comments on the post, I will go ahead and take one or two random ones from, uh, from that, the comment list. And I will go ahead and read those aloud on the episodes going forward. Of course, I will keep everything anonymous. I will not say who said what I'll just say, okay, this listener asked for this, and then I can go ahead and go into the description. So I think this would be a lot of fun but it takes both of us. It takes you asking the question first so that I can give the answer. Uh, go check out that article, book recommendations in the article section of gildedandblood.com. And if you're feeling like it, go ahead and comment on that post and give me a, a, a request for a book recommendation that I can fill. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Let's go ahead and see how this shakes out. Okay. So moving on next week, uh, we have an absolutely wonderful book, a book that has been very popular, and that is Augustina Bazterica's Tender is the Flesh, an absolutely spectacular book. Uh, if you if you want to go ahead and read it before we talk about it on the podcast, I definitely suggest you do. Uh, it's It's honestly one of my favorite books right now, and I'm really glad that I have an avenue to uh, talk about it here on the podcast. So that is going to be next week's book. Thank you, of course, to Slaughterhouse for the use of his music. That is Slaughterhouse with a five instead of an S at the beginning. You can check him out at Bandcamp. You can look at what I am currently reading at thestorygraph.com. Libris Leonis is my username, L-I-B-R-I-S underscore L-E-O-N-I-S. You can check out other episodes of the podcast. You can check out that article I talked about, and you can check out my fiction at gildedinblood.com. And until next time, stay safe and stay spooked.